Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. You have to be very conscious about what you want your life to look like in order to engineer that life. Having a life where you have a very full and rich work life and you have children and you are present with them does not happen by accident. And it is something that you can make happen, but you have to consciously choose to do that. Hi, Atomic Mamas. Uh, I want to encourage everyone to find us on iTunes. Go to itunes.com backslash Atomic Moms and subscribe. You'll get over 100 episodes in the archives for free. Find us on social media at Atomic Moms and our Facebook page. We're putting up uh, blogs and articles almost every day. So last week we announced on the show that our three-year-old Sabrina is going to be a big sister. That's right. Um, My daughter has pretty much convinced me that I am the surrogate to her baby. Uh, she is as excited as we are. Uh, I am 12 weeks pregnant, and I'm very much looking forward to kicking off the second trimester. Um, I'm looking forward to finding out if it's a boy or a girl and um, hoping that I'll stop hibernating soon. Um, if I'm going to focus on the good things, my boobs are pretty awesome. Uh, thank you all so much for the outpouring of love and the virtual high fives on Facebook and on our Atomic Moms Instagram account. It feels like I am in the best global mom group ever because of all of you. So thank you so much. And I'm excited to go on this crazy ride with you all. And I also promise you that this will not only be a pregnancy podcast um, for the next several months. I promise I will vary the topics and I will try to shut up about how um, I kind of feel like I'm going to throw up in my mouth right now. Sorry, just had to say that. Uh, I am so psyched to be sharing today's episode on how motherhood affects our ambition and our career choices. I'm sharing an interview with two mothers who wanted to figure this all out. They are Elizabeth Wallace and Hannah Shank. TheAtlantic.com featured their project, The Ambition Interviews, on its main page, and I saw it again and again and again posted on the Facebook walls of mothers I look up to. Reading it, my heart couldn't stop racing. Those of you who haven't read it because you're living under the crushing pressure of trying to get it all done as a mother, which is why you might not have time to read about the pressures of trying to get it all done as a mother— I'm going to post it on our Facebook page, and I want to encourage you to lock yourself in the bathroom and pretend to be using it um, and just spend the time reading these seven essays. It's worth it. Uh, Here are a few of the titles to pique your interest. Having it all and hating it. When women choose children over a career. Or how much ambition can a marriage sustain? Those are just three of the essays. And these women sprinkle these fascinating studies throughout that'll really, uh, they'll get you going a little bit. For example, here's one study. Uh, I'm going to quote them. One study found that working mothers today spend six hours more per week on childcare than stay-at-home mothers in the 1970s. Take a moment to wrap your mind around that one. These days, moms, we're, man, we're trying to cover all the bases. Uh, so. Elizabeth and Hannah, they assembled these interviews. They're interviews with their sorority sisters from almost 20 years ago at Northwestern University. And so we talk about the ambition interviews, like what they learned, what they took from it themselves, 
what it was like getting in touch with these super ambitious women uh, from their college days. And then, of course, the personal lives of Hannah and Elizabeth were just as fascinating to me. So we talk about, um, you know, the messiness of motherhood for them and how are they able to juggle work and home life themselves. And we laugh a lot. And I'm basically I'm ready to move to Brooklyn to be their mom friend. So I'd like you to think back for a moment. Do you remember the ambition you felt in your early 20s, that like burning fire of can-do spirit? A lot of you guys still have it lit. Others of you have, you know, life takes you in different directions. These days, would you consider yourself, in terms of a career, a high achiever, a scale backer, or an opt-outer? We'll find out more about what these categories mean in this episode. Uh, and I'd love to hear on social media which which one you fit into, and also what the pros and cons are that you found. Uh, our guest. Elizabeth Wallace. She is co-author of the Ambition Interviews. She's a freelance writer who's been published in Lenny Letter, Domino, Parenting, and Red Book. She's a former editor at Vogue, Nylon, 17, Us Weekly, and Lucky. She's a Brooklyn-based mother of two kids and an avid practitioner of yoga, lunchmaking, and handcrafted cocktails. Hannah, the first voice you'll be hearing in our Skype three-way call to Brooklyn, uh, she is a user experience consultant author, and essayist. Her writing appears frequently in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and in other national publications and around the web. She's the author of two memoirs as well. She divides her time between Washington, D.C. and Brooklyn, New York, where she lives with her family. Uh, And I loved uh, getting to find out more about that. That is quite the commute. Um, So I'm going to be calling their homes in Brooklyn. And uh, P.S. The sound isn't perfect. Uh, but until I can convince my guests to record calls in a padded closet um, or until I can get the budget to fly out for in-person talks, uh, I know you guys will forgive any background noise because life happens, man, especially for us crazy busy moms. I also feel compelled to mention that uh, I'm slightly distracted. My husband just texted me that our three-year-old daughter, Sabrina, um... He's dropping her off at preschool drop-off, and uh, he just texted, Beanie's having a tough day at school. So, great. That makes me feel bad. It's okay. She can have feelings. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. This is what it means to be a mom, right? And you're about to, like, share this amazing episode about uh, how motherhood affects our careers, and then I get sidetracked by a text like that. (laughs) We've always got one foot in the motherhood, don't we? All right, I'll be right back with Hannah Schenk and Elizabeth Wallace, the co-conspirators of the Ambition Interviews. So when you guys decided to interview uh, these other women that you had graduated with, um, all very ambitious, I think you write that three quarters had earned graduate degrees. How long did it take you to do these 37 interviews? And how long did it take you to, you know, create this entire project? So we were looking back at the first email exchange between the two of us talking about this. And it was about two and a half years. Yeah, we were just talking about this yesterday, actually. Yeah. Two and a half years? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) It was, I mean, or maybe even longer. I don't know. It was a while ago. Well, it was very Um, ambitious. (laughs) It was very ambitious. 
I mean, I think also like we didn't totally know what we were doing at first. Right. So it just started out as a conversation between the two of us. And then like we had dinner with a third friend and talked a little bit more about a lot of these issues. And um, that was really interesting. And then so we um, just decided to. So I think we emailed like a couple other friends who we hadn't really been in touch with. And then like basically did like two test interviews um, and it kind of grew from there. So it and also we have other jobs. So right. <laughs> and children. And, yeah, and also it took us like a good, like two months to just figure out how to get Skype to work. Oh my God. It um, makes me feel so good. I'm, can I, can done, we take a you, moment you, just for that? Yes, because you've done, you've done oh 110 podcasts all, or, or maybe many over Skype, you know, how just painful it is. And it's we spent like the first 20 minutes of every single interview being like, can you hear me now? Can you, you I know, know some of my like biggest interviews pretty early on, they just kept cutting out. But it's like every technical glitch that can happen happens with Skype. Right. Right. Yeah. And once once you've like secured, you know, once you spent like two months trying to get this person on to get on the phone yeah. with you in the first place. And, and then they start another, opening up and then, then well, yeah, exactly. Out. And then it cuts out. Um, we've had that happen a couple of times, too. And, you know, interviewing these, uh, you know, trying to reach this this group of 40 women. Another issue was that they're all basically like the three of us. They're juggling. You know, they they have their freelance job or their full time job and they have, yeah. you know, maybe 2.5 kids or more and they've they're married and they're volunteering at their school and they're trying to fit all this stuff in and so a lot of time was spent just trying to reach the interviewees and schedule a time when the three of us could be together you yeah. know like could come together so that was which is kind of a byproduct just of just these women's lives and the fact that it's all a juggle and so fitting this into that was a challenge Okay, so will you share with us what you all describe as your most striking find in these interviews? So I thought there were a couple of striking findings. Um, maybe the first being that we, um, as you know from reading the work, we divided our subjects after we interviewed them into three main groups, which we called, and this is oversimplified, but our high achievers, which was a group of high achieving women on paper, you know, high salaries, they had big jobs, jobs they wanted, they had basically worked their entire careers, and were considered very successful in their field. Um, the next group, which we called scale backers, who were women who might still be working full time, but had adjusted their schedule in some way to create more flexibility in their home life, often to be with their children more. And the third group, opt-outers, um, who were women who had worked when they first graduated and through having their first child and then decided to become a stay-at-home parent for a couple of different reasons. And so I think one, one of our most striking findings was that all these women who whom we considered very ambitious when we knew them in the 90s in college, when they graduated, when they went on to get their JD, their MBA, whatever, they... Um, even those who had opted out, they still considered themselves and remained, in our eyes, ambitious. They just kind of changed what the prize they were seeking mm -hmm. was. And um, so we, we have a whole essay on kind of redefining ambition and how we, we really wanted to validate that as as a reality that we saw in these in these people and, and have felt in ourselves. On the podcast, we talk a lot about 
you know, the why. So like, why are you doing what you're doing? And I found that with my own ambition, man, I was chasing it for the wrong reasons. Or I I wasn't, you know, after college, like I just wanted that external validation so badly. Like I wanted to prove my worth so badly. Um, And if you want to do that, trying to be an actor in LA is probably not the path to take. It's really <laughs> impossibly hard. Um, and anyone who sees La La Land, like, and you, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, I watched that movie and I love it uh, desperately, but I was like, when Emma Stone has her, like, she has a real meltdown. And I was like, you go girl, that's the truth. Like, stay right there. But no, you know, uh, I won't spoil the ending, but it, it hit a lot of buttons for me. Um, and, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, but uh, actually, it's funny. It's funny because we, um, one of our high achievers, is a screenwriter, a very mm-hmm. a successful screenwriter, and she I was said just almost, thinking of her on that. Yeah. She, well, she said something that was almost exactly what you just said, which was that at some point she realized that if she was like trying to get validation from Hollywood, that that was going to be a long road. Right. And that she needed to find some other, you know, make meaning for herself, basically. Exactly. And And when Um, I could make it about somebody else. Um, That was the other thing is like, I think when I went into, and I'll shut up about acting, but like when I went into the audition room, it felt like all the eyes were on me. And that made me really uncomfortable. And I didn't like it being about me. Um, And so when I was able to find a project like uh, this podcast where it's not about me, it's about other people's passions and it's about, um, you know, creating a platform for that and sharing these experiences of mothers, then like I could tap into my ambition again because the why was strong enough. But, you know, it's different. You know, I'm not a movie star and I'm not making a million dollars. But (laughs) Um, one thing that I also found really uh, fascinating was this idea that you guys say that until they had their children, like every you write, every woman in the group followed a near identical trajectory. And it's like when they had their children is when every, when the paths diverged. Yeah. I mean, I think that especially for this group of women who are just, you know, they got to Northwestern because they had sort of followed this path of like being ambitious and high achieving in high school. Right. So when they graduated, they pretty much all were like, well, I've always been an ambitious, high achieving person who, you know, does the things that you're, that, you know, you're supposed to do to achieve the level of success. And so I will continue doing those things. And I think for the most part, people felt, you know, there were some people who had, you know, more success than others. And some people certainly who like went on some path and decided, and I don't think I want that career. I'm going to have some other career, but you know, nobody like said, you know what, I'm going to go like teach yoga (laughs) in India for, I mean, there was nobody who, you know, everybody who was just continued on essentially with like my majored in this. And so I'm going to, you know, Mm. continue, get a job in that and work Mm -hmm. my way up. Um, and then, yeah, it was really interesting once we started kind of mapping that out of this realization of once people had kids that that was, I mean, it's not surprising that that is a decision point in your life, but you just don't really think about it that way. Um, especially because for a lot of these women, like they hadn't, they just thought like, I'm going to have kids and continue on doing what I was going to do. So it was a surprise to them too. Right. Our guest CNN anchor, Kate Baldwin, when she was on Atomic Mom, she, it was so funny. She was joking kind of, but she said, I'm declaring war on work-life balance. I'm wondering what surprised you most about the mothers you interviewed who 
had engineered their careers so that they could have a flexible work environment? Um, like, so, is there work-life balance? <laughs> so a couple of things come to mind. So when we, um, when we realized that there was a, a group and really not just a group, but like the largest group of people who we had talked to who were doing this, I think we were struck by the fact that they seemed the most stressed, but they also were the people who were saying that like who had architected their life to be that way and mm-hmm. didn't want to change it. So that there was this real pull between like, I, I am, a you know, I want to achieve in everything. Right. <laughs> Let me figure out how to do that. Um, I'm kind of stressed cause I'm doing it, but I also, there was no part of this that I would give up. And that's what you guys uh, call the scale backers, which is so yes. ironic because it's like the scale backers are the ones who are trying to do everything. And I feel like most of the mothers I know are the scale backers, um, except for my own mother, who was the high achiever, where, where a mother that had <laughs> yeah. no obvious impact on her career. <laughs> right, my mother, yeah, my mother was the same way, um, high achiever, um, never, never stopped working, never scaled back. Hannah, I was going to say the same thing. And also that these, that these women are trying to excel in all the parts of their lives, even though it seems like they, they're receding, but they're really not. But they all, they all said they struggled a lot with juggling all of it, but that they wouldn't change a thing. And they all said they were happy. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's a range of that. And, and, you know, people maybe are only so honest, but Hana and I've talked about this a lot in our own lives too, when, we were doing these interviews and writing this content. We both fell into the scale backer category, which is why it was so resonant for us to hear these women's stories and not all of them even kind of acknowledged or, or maybe articulated clearly that they had chosen this lifestyle for themselves or had carved it out intentionally, but so clearly so many of them did and they made choices, you know, like, like um, a lawyer who stayed, I think she's still in the same job too, um, who stayed in a very good job for 10 years, but she hasn't sought promotion and hasn't moved to a bigger city because she likes her life and she makes homemade bread for her children's lunches mm-hmm. every week. And Hannah and I talked a lot about, um, this was something we didn't have space to get into in our written content, but something that we've talked a lot about with each other which is as mothers and women and working women who kind of from this group have elements of perfectionism in our personalities, the things that we, the things that we are unwilling to give up and what that reflects about our own kind of motherhood and the way that we are validated as mothers and as women and as people. And Hannah and I have talked about, um, like, for example, I won't give up making lunch every day, Mm. even though I complain about it. And Mm -hmm. I hate it. I still do it every day and I won't stop doing it. And I won't let my kids buy school lunch because I can't let go of the control of knowing that they're eating something that I made. So is that what it is, Elizabeth? Is it that you want to know what they're eating? Because for me, at least in preschool, and I know your children are older, it's uh, that the preschool teachers are looking at what is in every child's bento box. (laughs) 
Oh, so they're they're homemade bento boxes. Yeah, we all you know those little like metal boxes that are all you know there's like six squares, and I have anxiety every night of what am I going to put in these squares that looks like she's having a healthful meal but not wasting too much food. But you you know, so I don't want to put too much in. But I even though I know she won't eat it all, I'll add a little extra so so it looks like I care. (laughs) Meaning that you're worried about. Um, oh, what your people meal, think? Like not standing up to other people's aesthetically oh, or being judged? Uh, probably. Uh, just in general, like what other people mm-hmm. think. Um, although in her preschool class, I think there's like th- three of the parents are chefs, so I give up. Um, right. right. Well, that happens too. <laughs> I think. Um, I think for me, yes, I want to. Yes, I want to ensure that they're eating something healthy, and like I insist that they have a vegetable or a fruit as one element of every lunch, and also. I just think school lunch at our school is kind of icky. And I also just, I mean, I also just think it's a huge control issue that I feel like Mm -hmm. I want to know, yeah, what they're eating every day. And I feel the same way about dinner and I make dinner for them almost every night that I'm home anyway. And the other thing is I think that there's some sort of validation that I get from fixing their food and having that be a source of their their nutrition and their nourishment and kind of that being a metaphor for just mothering in general, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm feeding them the right way. Um, And I won't get into my mother too much. And when she hears this, she might have a cow, but like she never made my lunch for me. I just, I made, I packed whatever I made and it was like white bread and a slice of bologna and like some Capri Sun. Right. And that was just, you know, and fruit roll up if I was extra good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, and that's what we ate in the eighties, which is, you know, a very different time than now, but also, so there's something, there's like a compensation there, I think. Oh, interesting. Now you're also a two mom household. Does your partner Ingrid, does she also want to make meals? Like, or is it, you know, how, because you're both have maternal instincts, you know, how does that differ from the women that you interviewed where it was like the husband didn't realize that any of this stuff was going on? Or is your partner not aware of that because because she's working full time? That's a great question. Thank you. And Hannah and I have also talked a lot about this dynamic. So um, just one thing to what you said, um, my partner, I would say she has very strong and good parental instincts, but not necessarily maternal instincts in the way that you might be thinking, like just because she's a woman biologically and and sociologically. um, She is a great parent, a great co-parent, a very involved and present co-parent, but she's way less like huggy, touchy-feely, um, sensitive, wanting to like talk things out than I am. Hannah can attest to that, but she does, does want to make the lunches and wants to do, um, all the stuff that I do, but you know, sometimes she'll come down and be like, okay, what needs to be done? I'll be like, um, you can make a sandwich for Eli and she'll be like, okay, how about peanut butter? And I'll be like, you can't have peanut butter. There's six kids with an EpiPen in the, in the classroom. So, um, so it's one of those things where like, I just have the command over all the details that she doesn't care about. Not that she, not that she doesn't care that there's a nut allergy in the classroom. She certainly does, right. but those, she just doesn't have the details and the minutia committed to memory. Like I do, because she just doesn't, that's not what occupies her mind right. in part because she has a full-time job in part because she's just not fixated on details in the same way that I am. And just, she's just not a passion point for her. You know, she's just like, throw some stuff in a bag and get out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that being said, she, you know, we, we kind of have, we kind of have our understood roles. Like she takes care of like all the outside of the house. She does the sweeping outside in the foyer. She does the snow shoveling. She does the go like, I never go down to the basement. She always goes down to the basement. Like I don't like being cold and getting all dirty. (laughs) And she, you know, so she does, I guess what you might consider the more, traditionally male labor, but mm-hmm. she also does lots of other things that you would be consider either non-gender specific or like more female. But I tend to do more of like the cooking and the laundry and stuff. But I think that that's more of a virtue of me being a freelance writer and editor and being home and having the time to do it. And also just, I kind of like the methodicalness of it. And I like cooking and I like being in control of the washing and like knowing what's being mixed with what. So apparently I have some control <laughs> control issues, which are not a surprise that are coming out in this narrative. Anyway. <laughs> Hannah, you know, your bio says that you spend some of your time in DC and the rest of the time in Brooklyn. Like, what does that look like with your family? Yeah, actually, it's funny. As Liz was just talking about that, um, about like wanting control over the minutia, I was thinking about, so I dramatically changed my life after this pro as a result of this project actually and ended up taking this job in DC and have been commuting back and forth and went from being like very stay at home or not stay at home but very hands-on like I'm I'm the one who you know meets the school bus um, and I'm the one who knows all of the details to that being managed by my husband and my mother um, and wow that's a team. I, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a shame, <laughs> and um, and actually, and I'm now like have gotten my job to a place where I'm able to be in Brooklyn a little bit more, and so like for example, this week I'm around all week, and um, my husband is going on a business trip, and so I was going through like last night, you know, the details of what needs to happen this week, and my daughter is having a play date on Wednesday. So I was like, okay, I got to write the note to the teachers, letting her know that she's going home with this friend. So I said to her, um, go get your communication notebook. And then as I said it, I suddenly realized I was like, I don't, I don't know if she has that anymore. Like, I think that was last year. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that like that. I, and then I was like, wait a minute, do you have a communication notebook? And you know, she and my husband are like, no, <laughs> And I was, you know, and I had that moment of like, oh my God, I, am I a horrible mother that like, I no longer remember that this information has to be communicated via note and not via communication notebook. Um, we worked it out. I wrote the note, but so it's been. Yeah, but that's a scary moment because you're like, oh, I have lost control of the ship. And also like the the judgment and the the mama shame of like, oh, I'm not the one on top of everything anymore. I mean, and I've like, I have always kind of. Like, I I think early on, I made a decision to try to not care about what other people think, um, because I knew that Mm -hmm. I needed to, like, I mean, I have always been either the primary wage earner or the the significant (laughs) wage earner. Um, And so I knew from, like, uh, the beginning that I wasn't going to be able to or not even that I wasn't going to be able to, like, it wasn't my priority to attend every single school event. Um, and right. that was just not my thing. And I was going to have to like, you know, if people thought like I wasn't around too much, that's, that's how it was going to be. Um, Hannah and I, Hannah and I have had strong, right. had strongly worded disagreements about yeah. the scholastic book fair. And, yeah. 
and about curriculum. Oh man, I just joined the committee. Uh oh. Well, tell me. Tom is wildly anti, and I feel ambivalent about it, but mostly supportive. And we also feel wildly divergent about curriculum night, of which she refuses to attend. Yeah. Is that too much that I just gave that away? <laughs> no. I, no, I, I love this. Hannah, what, what, what is that? Night attendee. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. But now you're in DC. So, you know, right. what are you, you well, going to do? So, I mean, your hands I mean, are so tied. Ways, it's kind of even crazier because like I long ago, like as Liz said, like made it an executive decision over there are some things I'm just not going to attend. Like when my, when my oldest was in kindergarten, I did a lot of stuff and kind of systematically went through and was like, yeah, this is just not for me. So I, I'm just not going to like, so yeah. we have um, parents as learning partners every, the first Friday of every month, which I think most schools have, but it's like called something different where like you go and you basically sit with your child for half an hour wow. for the first period. And I did that a few times. And after a while, it was just like, this is just like not worth my time. Like I, it's just, right. this isn't, this isn't for me. This isn't how I want to spend time with my child. This isn't how I want to engage with the school. Like I, it's mm-hmm. like the pieces that I have to move around in order to make this happen is just not worth it. Um, so my child is going to learn how to do parents as learning partners without me. <laughs> and Right. Give the material right, for therapy exactly. and it's like, all good. That's just how it's going to be. But there are certain things that like I, as Liz said, like she will not give up control over lunch. We also have a disagreement around lunch <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah. Well, so around lunches, I, at some point just decided that I didn't want to do lunch anymore because it's just, again, like, I don't feel like a good way, a good use of my time or like the end result. I didn't feel like I made good lunches or I like they made lunch. So I very early on said to the kids, you have a choice. You can make your own lunch or you can have school lunch. And every day we like tell them what the lunch is going to be and they make the decision. And I like have, and being in DC, but not wanting to like lose some control over that. I actually like made a list of all of the different possible things they could make for lunch and what went into it. That sounds and, awesome. Um, did you make the, did you make that into a, into a Google doc spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that has like, it's interesting because they, every, um, you know, lunch day have to make the decision of like, do they want to exert the effort? Are they willing to put up with a crappy lunch yeah. because they don't want to make their own lunch? Do you so, want to pay? I mean, that's sort of like, I deal with that on a daily basis. Do I want to pay someone else or do I want to exert the effort? <laughs> it's yeah, a good yeah. thing to teach your children. Yeah. Um, oh, but so I was going to say, so I, there are certain things that like I like with the lunches will not give up control. And the number one thing for me is doctor's appointments. So oh, yeah. I make sure that I am here for every single doctor's appointment, but my schedule is kind of crazy. So I actually, my husband took my 11 year old to his 11 year old well visit for the first time. Like he had never been wow. to a well visit. I mean, not since they were infants. Right. right? Um, and <laughs> And actually went to the wrong doctor. Because oh, <laughs> we switched pediatricians oh, like no. six years ago. <laughs> I, he's going to kill me for saying this. But oh yeah. my God, you, didn't, you and, never told me this. <laughs> well, and they're like not very far apart. They're like five blocks apart and both these like modern looking offices. And he like, he walked into the wrong place and said they had an appointment. And they were like, no, you don't. <laughs> That's so amazing. You are raising very resilient children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What was what we are you allowed to mention where you're working now or how the how the ambition oh, yeah. interviews led you there? 
Yeah, so I work for um, the United States Digital Service, which is actually part of the, um, it was an initiative started through the White House to bring um, private sector um, digital people to help to like physically apply and sign up to help the federal government for a period of time um, to like improve technology and improve people's trust in the government via technology. So um, that felt like it was worth it to me, even though to like do this insane commute. Yeah. Um, And it's, um, it's been phenomenal for like getting me back into, I mean, I, I ran my own company out of my, out of an office in my house um, for 10 years. So it was time, like part of so challenging. Yes. Um, Especially when you're, you know, I mean, this is like the total scale backer issue, right? Which Mm -hmm. was like, I, I I grew, I had this company, but I also was like stopping every day at three and then like picking it back up in the night and, um, feeling like I wasn't 10 years into it. It just was stuck. And so I wanted to do something else. And part of the process of talking to these women who were hearing the people who were so engaged with their careers and so excited about what they were doing. And I just felt like I want that. Like I want to, I am really happy that I've had this time to like be there to meet the school bus. Um, but I'm ready to, I'm ready to do something else. And, um, so I did. Yeah. (laughs) I love how you guys also in the ambition interviews, like you touch on this really important uh, thing, which I think is like, who is your partner? Like, who is the partner you choose uh, to be with you throughout life? And what is their ambition? And sort of how does that affect yours or or what your career looks like? And watching the Golden Globes, um, I was, I was, I mean, I have a crush on Ryan Gosling anyway. So going back to La La Land, uh, full circle, you know, he gave this speech and he dedicated it to Eva Mendez when he won. I just would like to try and thank one person properly and say that while I was singing and dancing and uh, playing piano and having one of the best experiences I've ever had on a film, my lady was raising our daughter, pregnant with our second, and uh, trying to help her brother fight his battle with cancer. If she hadn't have taken all that on so that I could uh, have this experience, would surely be someone else up here other than me today. So, sweetheart, thank you. To my daughters, Amada and Esmeralda, I love you. And I think it's still such a big issue because, you know, I think of my husband, he's a screenwriter, and when he was running a television show, there were times when the screenwriters, like, they wouldn't go home till like, 2 or 3 in the morning. And it was always really unpredictable, like, when that would happen. And I would always think about the women in the writer's room and, like, how are they doing this? And, like, how do they, if you have a child, like, you do need, like, a third person at your house because it's so unpredictable. And, you know, I've toyed with the idea of screenwriting, but then I let those thoughts stop me immediately of, like, I went to Smith College, like, I should be charging hard and with my career and not let the mom thing hold me back. But you're, but it's this like the practicality of, and the lack of control of being like, oh no, but there are nights that I could be gone till 2am and how would I scramble to get childcare to stay there that late? And that falls on the mom. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is what was so surprised. Like it, 
of course makes complete sense when you say it that way, but nobody in an office articulates that. Mm-hmm. Nobody says like, oh, we understand that when we ask you, you know, when you randomly have to stay until two o'clock in the morning, that someone else is with your children. Right. Um, it's just assumed that somebody is, it's like, not only does the person who put it, you know, who has the bigger career need to, you know, maybe have more like mental space to focus on it, but they mm-hmm. also like need the, the time to, they need somebody else in the picture mm-hmm. to be able to, to, to allow them to time-wise put their career on top of everything else. And like the, you know, our modern career culture just assume our work culture just assumes that when somebody says like, Hey, let's have a conference call at nine o'clock at night that you can make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is zero acknowledgement that there is somebody else making that possible. Um, so I think that it's, that was one thing that was surprising. It was kind of this like light bulb moment for us in talking to these people that like, of course we didn't see a lot of power couples because you can't, how does that work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like some, and the power couples that we did interview, I mean, we had this one woman who told a story about how, um, she had to be one place and her husband had to be someplace else. And so she flew her, her father in from Ohio to Boston to babysit. And, you know, like not everybody can, that's not a reality for everybody. Mm-mm. So, I mean, nor is it something that people should have to do or, you know, or want it. Like who, that's the, that's a tough way to live. Right. right. I so. think that's the other big thing is like the, tr- I'm making the choice of, yes, I could do these things. There's definitely, my, my husband's definitely not stopping me from pursuing them. Um, but for me, it's also the like, could I handle that stress anymore? Do I want to take that on while also wanting to be present with my daughter? Like, do I want to deal with that juggling? Because maybe that has to do with personality type as well. If you guys were going to go back to Northwestern to uh, give a commencement speech, which I'm sure you both have fantasized about, what would you want? I have not, but, but I, like, I, like that you're that in our, I like that you're putting that out there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's going to be on your vision board now. Um, it's very flattering. <laughs> what, what would you guys want the young women to, to take away from, from your work and, and your mission? Well, one thing that we that we have been talking about and writing about and thinking about as we mull this material and our theses and what kind of life they might have next that these ideas and this work is um, we have thought a lot about how you have to be very conscious early on or maybe, maybe throughout your life and your career you have to be very conscious about what you want your life to look like in order to engineer that life. Like having a life where you have a very full and rich work life and you have children and you are present with them does not happen by accident. And it is something that you can make happen, but you have to consciously choose to do that. And so that's, I think one thing that that really came out of our work and we, I think, have both become more conscious about what we want our lives to look like mm-hmm. and have tried to be have tried to be more active in engineering what we want them to look like. Um, so that's at least one thing. And then in terms of the marriage stuff and the partner, you know, we 
I think we mentioned that we that was Sheryl Sandberg who said the, when she did a commencement speech, the most important decision you will make in your career is who you marry, who your spouse is going to be. And um, that's one thing that Hannah and I really, really strongly agreed with Sandberg on, which is that you, you know, in in today's world, in 2017, it, if you are if you are partnered or married, you cannot have the success that you want without and and have a family without having a partner who supports that and who makes that happen. Like Hannah would not have the life that she does and the job that she does today mm-hmm. um, without without her partner. Um, I don't mean to speak for you, Hannah, but I'm sure you'll, oh, I think you'll yes. agree, you'll agree <laughs> yes. with me strongly on that. You know, and then we we had several women who who were kind of high powered finance people and then they quit and became stay at home moms and did everything for their husbands. And they mentioned, you know, and they said that their husbands acknowledged it one, one person more than another, but said, you know, my husband would not have his career elevated without me being at home, doing all the stuff that needed to get done to have his life function, mm-hmm. you know, like taking his shirts to the dry cleaner, making sure there was food in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so many years I would see my stepmom, who's a stay-at-home mother, you know, sitting at the kitchen counter with my dad, like helping him draft out all of his like very important work emails. Same thing. Yeah, Man. yeah. And that, so that, so that, that choosing your partner, you know, and maybe when you choose your partner, whether, you know, you're in your twenties or thirties or whatever age you are before kids or after, you know, whatever the order is that you don't necessarily think about maybe, you know, if you choose a partner based on falling in love with them, which I think, you know, maybe the majority of people do, you don't necessarily think about all the factors that are going to be important after you have kids. And when you're, in, in the middle part of your life, you know, all the factors that are going to be important. Like, is this person somebody who is willing to share the load with me in every way? Is this someone who is going to value my career ascension and success as much as their own? You know, Mm -hmm. is that important to me? And, you know, further to that point, we've also talked a lot about how sort of the shifting scale of ambition and how, you can be in one place with ambition and then three to five years later, you might be in a different place or want to be in a different place. And you don't have to, you don't have to accept stasis if you're not happy where you are. You can be a, you can be a stay at home mom, an opt outer, and then be like, you know what? I really want to have a different career or I want to go back to the career that I had, you know, not that it's always easy. And, you know, we've kind of been talking a lot about how we want to write about how to make, how to make that an easier transition and how to kind of keep yourself in the workplace, but about how you can, you can choose to move yourself along this spectrum of ambition in your mm-hmm. life. You can consciously do that. And, and vis-a-vis the marriage and the discussion of what your life is going to look like and your partner being supportive and you being supportive to your partner by the same token that, if you're not happy with that arrangement, with what that looks like and the support you're getting or not getting or how much you're putting in and the other person is or isn't, is that that doesn't have to be a set in stone factor either. Like if you've negotiated that you're always the person who does X, Y, and Z things, and all of a sudden you don't really want to do X, Y, and Z anymore, have that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. that talking through these things can change them. And um, one of our one of our subjects you know, she was the primary earner. She started having children. She and her husband started having children and all these little things that we've been talking about that 
we think are are primarily women oriented things or the things that women choose to do, whether it's you know ingrained or or by our choice. But the things like making the pediatrician appointments, buying the birthday presents, planning the birthday parties, um, you know, buying the clothes for the children. She said, there were all these things that my, all these bullshit things my husband didn't even know were things. Mm -hmm. So one day she made a list of all the things that she did that he didn't even know existed as action items in her day and gave him a list and said, I've been doing all these things. Pick half of them, and you're going to start doing them now, starting next next Monday. Maybe it wasn't that specific, but that was such a light bulb for us that you know you you don't have to accept the way like your position in life, whether it's vis a vis your ambition, your marriage, the way you handle your children. Like these can be ongoing conversations, and that was that was I thought pretty important for us to kind of live and understand and message out too. I love that. Hannah, when your children look back on their childhood, what do you hope they remember most? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Besides going to the wrong doctor. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Wow, that is a a really hard question. Uh, You know, I mean, I think that I try really hard to have there be to have have the family be fun Mm -hmm. um and so even if that's and it's really hard to have things be fun when people are like coming home at night and everybody's tired and I think that that actually kind of factored a little bit into my like my realization that I wasn't I was like you know I I want to have I want them to remember that this family unit is light and enjoyable and fun. And and I don't mean fun, like, woo, we're all like going to a trampoline park. I mean, like that we have a good, like we like being together. Um, and even if we're just like hanging out, you know, reading together on a couch or if we're just being silly together or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of what I realized was that I, like that wasn't happening when they, you know, they were coming home. I was around, I was, they were tired cause they just come back from school. I was tired cause it was like a low point in the day and also stressed mm-hmm. cause I needed to like have conference calls. And so like none of that was fun for anybody. Um, so I actually feel that like now that my life is a little bit more divided where mm-hmm. I'm, when I'm at work, I'm working. And when I'm with my kids, I'm with them. Yeah. Um, that it is easier for things to be light and enjoyable for everybody. Um, Cause you like can be fully I, present. I can be fully present and I can, you know, I don't, I really don't want them to look back and be like, mom was on the, you know, she was on the phone all the time or she was always checking yeah. her email or she was always playing candy crush or whatever. Like <laughs> I, I, so when I actually need to like do the heavy lifting of parenting less, I am able to do, do it better. I think. So I, yeah, I, I want them to look back and think like it, we had a good time together. We we like hanging out together. Do you have anything to add, Elizabeth? How about for your kids? Um, I love that about being a group that likes each other and having fun together, and I feel that way too. And i i really I really want my maybe I'll feel differently in five years, but right now I really want my children to feel passionate and excited about life and the world and all 
all that the world has to offer, you know, them and everybody. And so I, I try to, I try to excite them with both opportunities and just my own energy um, about things that are important to me and politically and in the world um, without like being too much of a drag, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I hope that they um, don't just say that I was constantly nagging them to please pick up their clothes (laughs) and put them in the dirty clothes. Um, And in closing, Hannah, will you tell us just a little bit about your memoir, The Edge of Normal, and everyone can find it on Amazon. So The Edge of Normal is a memoir about, um, so my daughter has um, albinism, which is a genetic condition that um, causes you to be, um, have low vision and also to, um, have very, be very pale and have very fair skin, um, and be very blonde. Um, and so it is a, and she's now almost eight. Um, I think she was about six when I wrote it. So it is sort of about the early years of, um, being, you know, raising a child who as, where the title comes from is sort of on the edge of normal. People don't know that she is legally blind. Um, she, people just think like she has really cool hair color. Um, but she needs all of these, she needs a lot of accommodations. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's about parenting a child with an unusual special need. In reading the first chapter, I love how you talk about how, you know, the first, your first birth was so difficult. Um, and so you really studied up for this second birth and that, you know, everything was going to be perfect. And, and then you have to like realize that like nobody's perfect and no family is perfect. And I thought that was really beautiful. Uh, and, uh, I can't wait to share it with all of our listeners. Um, guys, thank you so much for, uh, taking the time. I know you all have multiple projects going on at once. Thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to share the ambition interviews along with your other work, uh, listeners, please subscribe on iTunes. Go to iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Uh, leave a review. It helps with our ranking, which helps new moms find us. Um, you can subscribe for our newsletter on AtomicMoms.com. And until next Tuesday, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. <laughs>